Well, good day to everyone. This is Mark Tinsley, and you are joining me on The Message, which is a ministry of inquiry for today. Today, we're going to be looking at Mark chapter 16, verses 1 through 8, in a message I've entitled, Who Will Roll Away the Stone? So let's read Mark chapter 16, verses 1 through 8. You'll recognize this famous passage. When the Sabbath was over, Mary Magdalene and Mary the mother of James and Salome bought spices so that they might go and anoint him. And very early on the first day of the week, when the sun had risen, they went to the tomb. They had been saying to one another, Who will roll away the stone for us from the entrance to the tomb? When they looked up, they saw that the stone, which was very large, had already been rolled back. As they entered the tomb, they saw a young man dressed in a white robe sitting on the right side, and they were alarmed. But he said to them, said to them Do not be alarmed. You are looking for Jesus of Nazareth, who was crucified. He has been raised. He is not here. Look, there is the place they laid him. But go, tell the disciples and Peter that he is going ahead of you to Galilee. There you will see him, just as he told you. So they went out and fled from the tomb. For terror and amazement had seized him, and they said nothing to anyone, for they were afraid. You know, when I was a young boy, I wasn't thought of as very bright. I remember I was a kid who got the S- minus on his report cards as an elementary student, which S meaning satisfactory. I don't really know what S- minus meant. I guess that meant something less than satisfactory, but I was decidedly an average student. And I remember as I got into middle school and, and, and later in elementary school, they had a gifted and talented program back then, and I wasn't a part of it. I remember a lot of my friends who were would go off and do special field trips and things, and, and all this did was reinforce in me the S- minus in my life. It made me feel average. It made me feel like I couldn't achieve academically. And so I had just accepted that. And I remember I got into the eighth grade, which is uh, late middle school or early high school, depending on where you are. And I remember, you know, I was just going about my life doing the things that I'd always done. Uh, and I remember getting back an English paper from Mrs. Costas. And it had, you guessed it, a C- minus on it. The letters had changed, but I was still an average student. But Miss Costas said something to me at that moment when she handed that paper back. She said, Mark, you can do better. And I remember that was the first time that a teacher had really taken an interest in me. The first time that a teacher had believed in me. And it radically changed my life. And I remember at that point, I got this, this resolution in my heart. that I said to myself, I'm, I'm going to beat the system. People don't believe in me. People don't think that I'm a good student. People think I'm decidedly average. And I decided to go for it, to put my all into it, to prove to myself and, and to prove to them that I could do it. Well, my senior year, I was able to stand on the stage of my graduation and graduate as the valedictorian of my high school class. Now, I don't tell you that story to brag, not in the least. You'll see in a minute what I mean. But at that moment, I beat the odds. I faced the obstacles before me. I faced off with a giant, as it were. And by God's grace and mercy, I won. And I want to emphasize that. I didn't, I didn't know God at the time. I wasn't close with God at the time. But I know that 
today looking back that it was God's gift to me, his grace and mercy that allowed me to, 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 to create that resolve. He created that resolve in me, that passion, that hard work ethic that allowed me to beat the odds. But you know, my story is minuscule. It's just an everyday story with little glamour and only a little glimmer of inspiration. Think about the truly courageous and awe-inspiring stories, awe-inspiring stories in history. Think about Helen Keller, a woman who could have used her multiple handicaps as excuses, but instead she persevered to become one of America's greatest authors and activists. Think about young Franklin Delano Roosevelt, who could have used his inability to walk as an excuse to sit at home beside a fireside and do nothing, yet he became one of the greatest U.S. presidents in the 20th century. And though he sat by a fireside, it was to inspire a nation at war. Imagine, imagine a stuttering young African-American boy who could have shriveled into the shadows of life, yet he rose above his insecurities to become one of the greatest voices of our time. Everyone who has watched the Star Wars trilogy knows the voice of James Earl Jones. Or what about little Johnny Cash, whose father did not believe in him or his music, whose friends thought he was nothing short of a loser, yet he became one of the giants of American country music and rock and roll. You know, folks, obstacles are part of life, but greatness often comes via obstacles. Michael Jordan, we all know him as the great NBA Hall of Famer, but did you know he was also cut from his basketball teams in high school? Well, he said this once. He said, if you're trying to achieve, there will be roadblocks. I've had them. Everybody's had them. But obstacles don't have to stop you. If you run into a wall, don't turn around and give up. Figure out how to climb it. Go through it or work around it. Booker T. Washington once opined, I have learned that success is to be measured not so much by the position that one has reached in life as by the obstacles which he has had to overcome while trying to succeed. And then a final quote from Norman Vincent Peale, the creator of Guideposts. He said, stand up to your obstacles and do something about them. And I love this part of it. He says, you will find that they haven't half the strength you think they have. These are certainly wise words to live by. Indeed, adversity and obstacles in our lives can be good things. And, and it's not just quotes from people like Michael Jordan and, and, and Vincent, Norman Vincent Peale and others that we have to live by. We can go to Scripture. Romans 5, verses 3 through 5 tells us not only that, but we rejoice in our sufferings, knowing that suffering produces endurance and endurance produces character and character produces hope. And hope does not put us to shame because God's love has been poured into our hearts through the Holy Spirit who has been given to us. And then we get to the letter that James wrote in the very first chapter, second verse. He says, Count it all joy, my brothers, when you meet trials of various kinds, for you know that the testing of your faith produces steadfastness, and let steadfastness have its full effect, that you may be perfect and complete, lacking in nothing. We are tested 
in our adversity. Our mettle, our resolve, our character, and our resiliency are at once placed in the fire when we face our obstacles. But, but there is a danger in idolizing adversity, isn't there? We can make a golden calf out of our obstacles. In my story, for example, it would be far too easy for me to think highly of myself for overcoming what many saw as an obstacle in my life, namely a low academic potential. It would be easy for me to forget that there have been many other obstacles in my life that I have not overcome, to forget that I am a wretched sinner saved only by the grace of God. It would be easy for me to forget that anything I do that is worth anything is because of God. It would be easy for me to focus on the obstacles and on my ability to overcome them and miss the work God can do in my life if instead of putting my attention on the obstacles, I placed my eyes on God. Unfortunately, though, we as humans have a bad habit. We like to handle our obstacles on our own. For whatever reasons, maybe it's lack of faith, self-centeredness, a sense of individuality, whatever it is, we don't often enough go to God with our problems. We don't truly put our obstacles in his hands. We want to go it alone, prove to ourselves and others that we can do it, that we can take it, that we can persevere. Maybe we even want to say in our pride, look at what I have done. Look at what I've done. Or maybe we just want the sense of satisfaction that comes with a job well done. But what do we miss in the meantime? Look at our gospel lesson for today, Mark 16, 1 through 8, which I read just a few minutes ago. Jesus has died in this passage and his body has been taken to the tomb. He was wrapped in a cloth and probably laid on a cold, hard slab of limestone in a rock wall cave. Now, I think limestone, because limestone is the primary rock in and around Jerusalem. So he was probably laid on a cold, hard slab of old, plain limestone. Now, in our passage, Mary Magdalene, Mary the mother of James, and Salome are walking to the tomb. They're going there to honor Jesus by the Bible, says, anointing him. Now, commentator Walter W. Wessel says this, he says, quote, The anointing was not for the purpose of preserving the body. Embalming was not practiced by the Jews, but was a single act of love and devotion, probably meant to reduce the stench of the decomposing body. Now, that's kind of gross, but that's probably what they were doing. They were going there to make sure that their Lord and Savior's body didn't decompose in a disgraceful way. These women had so much faith in Jesus and the message that he had proclaimed during his earthly ministry that they didn't want to dishonor him by allowing his body to decompose in a despicable way. So they took spices, that is perfume, and started out for the tomb, fully intent on anointing their Lord and honoring him. Now as an army chaplain, we have what the chaplain corps calls our three core competencies three things that we're expected to do as military chaplains if we do anything else or do nothing else these are nurture the living care for the wounded and honor the dead it is this third core competency honoring of the dead that these women are enacting 
but it's not because they are subscribing to some list of competencies or some obligation placed upon them. Folks, it is because they have given their lives over in devotion to Christ because they loved him and believed in him. So imagine yourself among these three women walking to the tomb to anoint the Lord. Imagine yourself. You're walking along with them. What would the conversation be? What would you be saying? What would you be talking about? Here are some things I would expect to be talking about if I were walking in the first century with Mary Magdalene, Mary, mother of James and Salome. First, I might be talking about how, how, how heartbroken we are about the loss of Jesus, our teacher and our Lord. Might also be talking about how we can best honor him through our anointing. Maybe I'd be talking about how exactly we're going to anoint him when we get there. What are we going to do? What liturgy are we going to use during the ceremony of anointing? I might ask, do, I, do we have the right spices? Are they of the right quality and quantity? I might be asking, how in the world are we going to carry on his teachings? Maybe I would even ask, will we even see him again? In other words, I would expect the conversation to center upon Jesus, his ministry, and how we are to honor him in the right way. But that's not what they're focused on. Verse 3 reads, And they were saying to one another, Who will roll away the stone for us from the entrance of the tomb? You see, the two Marys and Salome couldn't see the forest for the trees. They couldn't focus attention on what should have mattered most at that time because they were preoccupied with the obstacles. Who will roll away the stone? And you know, folks, this question makes complete sense to me. I mean, you can't anoint Jesus without first getting to him. You know, I did some very, very quick calculations and estimations on the size of the stone they encountered. If conservatively the stone were small, only six feet in diameter and only about six inches thick, that kind of a, that, that slab of limestone would weigh almost 400 pounds. If, on the other hand, it were a bit larger, let's say eight feet in diameter and one foot thick, a slab of limestone that size would weigh over 1,400 pounds. And these are, again, conservative estimates. There's a good chance the stone was much larger. Uh, why, you say? So the grave could not be easily robbed, and so animals couldn't get into the decomposing body. That was typical of the day. You had to, the rock had to be big enough to keep everybody and anybody out of it, out of the tomb. The Marys and Salome knew how large this stone was. And they wondered how in the world they were going to move it. I'm sure they were just three smaller ladies. Seems like a legitimate question to me. Yet it displays a lack of focus. And in many ways, it displays a lack of faith in God to overcome obstacles. You see, Jesus had told his followers that he would be raised from the dead on the very day these women were going to the tomb. Look at Matthew chapter 16, verse 21. There, Jesus, there it says, From the time Jesus began to show his disciples that he must go to Jerusalem and suffer many things from the elders and chief priests and scribes and be killed and on the third day be raised. Folks, if this is the Lord, the Marys and Salome served, then why should a mere stone be a problem? Indeed, why should anything be a problem? 
In the same gospel, Jesus told his disciples in Mark 11, verse 23, Truly I say to you, whoever says to this mountain, be taken up and thrown into the sea, and does not doubt in his heart, but believes that what he says will come to pass, it will be done for him. Folks, God promises power and might and supernatural ability to his believers if they believe in his ability instead of their own abilities, and if they focus on him instead of themselves We are not to focus on our problems. We are not to focus on our own adversity. We are not to focus on our obstacles. We are to focus on the one who overcomes these things in our lives. We are to focus on Jesus, as Hebrews 12 says, the author and perfecter of our faith, who for the joy set before him endured the cross, scorning its shame, and sat down at the right hand of the Father. You see, with Christ... There are no insurmountable obstacles. The stones are not huge. With him, they are tiny. With Christ, the stones, that is the obstacles in our lives, are negotiable. We can handle them in his power. With him, we don't have to ask the question, who will roll away the stone? With Christ, as we see in this passage in Mark uh, chapter 16, verse 4, the stone has already been rolled away. Jesus had gone before these women and he had rolled that obstacle away. They were focused on the obstacle, but Jesus had already removed it. Now, you know, sometimes in our lives of faith, obstacles are going to remain in our path because sometimes God wants those obstacles there. But oftentimes the obstacles are there only because we haven't put our faith in Christ. We haven't given the problem, the tribulation, the trial or whatever it is over to him. Folks, I'm telling you, if we go to God and we say, God, this is the problem I'm facing. This is a trial I'm facing. This is the issue that's in front of me. Go before me and clear the path in accordance with your will. Folks, I'm telling you, God is takes those obstacles from us he takes the obstacles that should not be in our way and he removes them and the only obstacles that are left are the ones that we need to negotiate for our own spiritual growth and maturity do you believe that today today is easter 2018 easter is a time when we celebrate the resurrection of christ When we celebrate the day that Jesus overcame the power of sin and death, stood up, rolled away the stone, and walked out of that tomb. Death wasn't an obstacle for Jesus. The stone wasn't an obstacle for Jesus. And when we focus on him, they aren't obstacles for us either. Mary, Magdalene, Mary, the mother of James, Salome, asked who will roll away the stone. Sometimes we ask in our lives, my goodness, Lord, who's going to roll away that stone for me? That's the question that we must answer in our lives every day. And I'm here to tell you what the right answer is, and that is Jesus. The Christ, the Son of the living God, is the person who will roll away that stone. But we've got to give it to him. We've got to make a place and a way for him in our lives so that he has an opportunity to roll away the stone. Folks, what are your obstacles in life right now? What are you dealing with? What is in your way? And then once you answer that question, I'd challenge you to to ask the next one. Have I given it to God? Have I given God a chance to help me with this? Have I put it in front of Have I prayed for him to go ahead of me, go before me and clear the path? If you haven't done that, folks, That's your next step. 
Jesus will roll away the stones. He'll take those obstacles. But he's not going to force himself on us. First, we have to trust and obey and submit. I hope you have a wonderful Easter. I hope you have a great time with family and friends today and the rest of your week. And God bless each and every one of you. Thank you.